0: Sierra Hull is having a moment and at 32 years old has been mesmerizing fans with her playing for more than half her life. She is currently working on her 6th album before going on tour for most of 2023. In the fall of 2022, Sierra Hull, who was the first woman to win it, won her 4th International Bluegrass Music Association Award for Mandolin Player of the Year. Adding to her IBMA awards for Collaborative Recording of the Year, including White Line Fever with Bobby Osborne among others, in that same award ceremony, the song playing now is her instrumental "The Last Minute" from her last album, 25 Trips. I spoke with Sierra at the IBMA Conference and Music Festival in Raleigh, North Carolina, at the beginning of October 2022, where I also interviewed other prominent women in bluegrass. Notably, Natalia Weinstein of husband and wife duo Zoe and Cloyd, and Della May, who came to mind in putting this episode together because these artists simply could not have been at the forefront of their genre not all that long ago. I called on Becky Buller, Claire Lynch, and circled back to Natalia Weinstein for comments on what it takes to be a leading lady in the genre, and their answers reveal an array of challenges, but also a number of positives about being a woman in a field that remains less so now, but still dominated by men. That women are a minority in bluegrass and acoustic roots music is not unique. By this metric, the genre is much the same as others, but the history and the current musical landscape of their musical home is, and you will hear about those particulars as we go. This episode has two parts. First, we hear from Sierra Hull, about everything from having a mentor like Allison Krauss to becoming a mentor herself, to how she's never satisfied as a musician And how that has made her push her boundaries plus you'll hear what she has in store for a very busy year then we hear from our other guests about the question of overcoming hurdles and finding their place in the bluegrass spotlight i'm your host joe kendrick and this is southern songs and stories Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. Sierra Hall is the poster child for Bluegrass Prodigies, having been signed to Rounder Records, which released her collection titled Secrets, at the age of 17. She quickly became a top-drawing act and has remained at the forefront of progressive bluegrass and acoustic music ever since, and now is enjoying wave after wave of recognition for her work. In the exhibition hall at IBMA, we started our conversation by talking about how many more young players there are in the scene now, even more so than when she was the new kid on the block in the very recent past.
1: Yeah, well, I've asked- like i was so lucky to to be surrounded by something like ibma so so early on i was invited uh, i had probably only been playing about a year when i was first invited to come do the kids on bluegrass and i think that happened earlier this morning i hated to miss it but you know it's like i love that that's still happening that they're still finding young kids to invite to come out because for somebody like me i grew up in a small little town in tennessee and you know there wasn't uh anything like this real close to where i grew up you know and and you know, in a town with less than a thousand people and no red light, you know, it's like you you have some local jams and things like that. But the idea of being able to go somewhere where all of a sudden like Ricky Skaggs walks off an elevator and you're like, <gasps> and I met Sam Bush, I met Earl Scruggs, the fir- just the first year that I ever went to, to IBMA and I got to play on stage with, um, you know, a band that's been a longtime favorite of mine, third time out, and yeah. it was, you know, just to be embraced by the community like that, I think as a youngster, I loved the music already, but I think you fall so deeply in love with the people and the community and like what that means and feels like that, that sort of, at least for me, I think was a big part of what made me keep returning to it. It wasn't just the music. And so I think for any of the young people that are coming, this is just like an amazing place to meet people, meet lifelong friends. You know, I've got friends that we met here when we were you know, 10, 11 years old, and we're still close friends to this day. And it's amazing um, to to have something like that, that music can, you know, bring bring your way.
2: A number of artists have echoed what you said about the community and its openness. And it's not the same in other genres of music necessarily, because a lot of the people that I'm talking to weren't lifelong in the progressive roots, bluegrass type environment. And, you know, they would be coming from the jazz world or the blues world, or you know, a number of comments that I've gotten that they've all said the same thing. They said that you know it was different in those circles. It was not as necessarily welcoming, and uh, yeah. you didn't have that accessibility of. Being able to run up against Ricky Skaggs and just talk to him like he's (laughs) another guy.
1: Sure, yeah. Well, I think part of it that's so special about, and, you know, I can only really speak from having grown up in this, I was very steeped in the bluegrass world, so as far as other genres and stuff go, I mean, I I know everybody kind of has their own experiences there, but for me, you know, being able to, yeah, grow up in a music like that, that, that you know, as you start being a performer, you realize, well, half the audience at these festivals also play. You know, we'd all be doing it in a hallway here at IBMA for fun, even if we weren't doing it on a main stage, you know? And so that's kind of a, a beautiful thing that, like, the people that love the music so much, most of the time they're not, you know, you have people who just come and listen and enjoy, but, you, you know, they also participate in the thing itself and the the music making, whether it's in some corner of the convention center or in a hotel room, you know, jamming songs and you can meet somebody that grew up, you know, on the other side of the country and they've been playing and loving all the same songs you have. And so that was just amazing to me as a kid and kind of, I think, lit a fire in me that just made me fall in love with it in a way that, you know, if that didn't exist, I think I would still really love the music and want to perform, but I think it, it would be different, for sure.
2: Yeah, and to an outsider, the bluegrass world might look somewhat monolithic. Like, they've got the stereotypical idea of whatever this music is, but really, when you get into it and you become more uh, knowledgeable, you know, like, start to know people, and follow the music, it's incredibly inclusive in that it allows for Sierra Hull to be Sierra Hull and embraces what you're doing just as much as all of these other facets and everybody's learning from each other and rubbing off on each other and that also is special and doesn't happen everywhere else.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, we're kind of, especially as the younger generation comes up, it's like, you know, I know this is a genre of music that People, We all love it so much that there's a tendency to want to be protective of it, you know, and and want things to kind of go a certain way or sound a certain way. But I see with sort of the younger generation, people coming up, where we live in a world where you're just surrounded by everything. I mean, we have all the music in the world at our fingertips. You know, you don't have to go very far to hear anything you want to explore as a musician. And so... I think that the kind of idea of bluegrass and the genre and still being able to have you know the real traditional elements but being able to be welcoming to some of the outside kind of influences and things like that um really does allow for more of an inclusive experience where you've got like younger people you've got older people you know and so for me it's like i love i love all of it and so i love to to sort of see that with young kids being excited by, you know, Larry Sparks, but being excited by Billy Strings. You know, it's a cool thing to see.
0: A Bit of Poison by Sierra Hall from her 25 Trips album, a song which doesn't feature Billy Strings, whom Sierra just mentioned. Billy and Sierra have played live together, but so far neither has made an appearance on the other's recorded work. Maybe we can float that idea here and hope that they might join up in the studio too. After touching on how many talented young players there are in the scene, I asked Sierra if she had played the role of mentor herself.
1: You know, I've been lucky to meet so many young kids along the way. I have had actually like a real mentorship through the state of Tennessee um, in 2020 with a kid named Wyatt Ellis, who's making some some good strides here at IBMA this year. But he's a real talented young player and he's from Tennessee. I'm from Tennessee. And each year the state of Tennessee does um, a mentorship. And it's not just music related. It can be arts, crafts, like all kinds of different traditions within, you know, the South sort of, and so um, they asked me, hey, would you wanna do a mentorship teaching mandolin to someone? And I said, well, this was in 2020 and we were gonna do it all virtual and I knew I'd be home. Usually I travel so much, it would have been hard to do something like that. But being home, it gave me the opportunity to say, well, yeah, that could be really cool. And and, uh, I said, if we could find a young person, I would be excited to do it. And then his name kept coming up again and again. So we ended up kind of working together and and, um, that was, yeah. A great experience Um, because I I feel like so many of my heroes have embraced me over the years. And, you know, I was thinking when I won mandolin player um, the other night, like yesterday morning, Sam Bush called me. And, you know, the fact that, you know, somebody like Sam, who I met here when I was nine, would, would you know, just call me and, and congratulate me and he, he always has. Even before, even when I was just nominated and wasn't winning the award, you know, he would always call me and be like, Sierra, you know, I'm proud of you and it just it means so much. So I've had that and I certainly would love to think I could give that back to other young people.
2: There's just so much drama in the bluegrass world and I say that sarcastically <laughs> because there's just not. Um, <laughs> but it's great because it's not competitive in that Sam resents you winning and him not. At all, it's completely not that way.
3: Well, he joked at me, he
1: said, if I'm going to lose to anybody, it better be you. You know, it's just like, you know, he's just so sweet. And, not you know, but that really, you know, it means the world to me that my heroes have just embraced, you know, me f- like long long before I even knew very much about music. You know, they just uh, have always been really kind. And, and you don't, I don't know, I imagine you don't get that in every music circle, but the bluegrass circle really you know, brings that in a beautiful way.
2: Yeah, what is your focus as far as of being a player, of, of being an artist? Is it, what's your, what keeps you going? I
1: think it's a little of everything. Yeah, I've, I've never been a satisfied musician, <laughs> that's for sure. Because, <laughs> and, and why would you be? I mean, there's always so much more to learn and explore. And it doesn't mean that you can't, it doesn't mean you have to like go and play some crazy form of music or go completely far away from the bluegrass thing. But there's always something you can work on, I think, to make you better at what you're doing, whether it's a player, a writer, a singer, all those things. So I'm always kind of trying to push myself in, in various ways. Um, and I think that being able to sort of in some ways step outside of the bluegrass box for me that I, you know, I had the first at least 10 years of my musical world were fully steeped and rooted in nothing almost but this music and I'm grateful for that really because it gave me an incredible foundation and then it's like as I've gotten older you know throughout my 20s and things like that exploring different sounds and different kind of musical combinations uh, even the band I'm touring with right now I wouldn't you know deem it a bluegrass band per se you know we have drums we have some electric guitar here and there but like but it's so firmly also influenced by bluegrass that it's like it's not not bluegrass uh, in, in essence, you know what I mean? So um, yeah, but I find that like the further I go away from it, the more when I have an opportunity to return to it, there's just something so beautiful about it and, and nostalgic. It's like it will forever be home for me as a musician. And it's cool, it's cool to have that, the thing that you go back to that feels like an extension of you, a bit like breathing to do. It's mm. the thing that always feels like the most natural musically for me.
0: Sierra is exploring new territory. Last year at the Fresh Grass Festival in North Adams, Massachusetts, she premiered her first bluegrass concerto in three movements. She's touring the U.S. through the late winter and spring with shows featuring her husband Justin Moses and co-headlining dates with infamous String Dusters and Bela Fleck's My Bluegrass Heart, playing dates with the Punch Brothers, also touring Europe, and playing shows with guitarist Corey Wong and his big, funky, and electric band. Sarah Hall's place in bluegrass history will be prominent for sure, but what if she came along in the era that Sally Ann Forrester or Gloria Bell did? Or even if she were of Alison Krauss's generation? Music generally, and bluegrass in its own way, has not been an environment that did women any favors, but that is changing. Even while music overall, including bluegrass, is dominated by male players, male managers, male DJs, and so on, there are more women on stage and more of them lead bands. And there are a good number of women behind the scenes, working in publicity, for example. Natalia Weinstein points to the year 2012 as being pivotal for women in bluegrass when industry insiders, fans, and music artists had a string of debates about what course the IBMA would chart going forward, especially regarding the overall inclusiveness of the bluegrass music scene. She's not alone in pointing to that year as the birth of the Big Tent mindset for the genre which has since made room for more women and has expanded the boundaries of what we call bluegrass music. All of this has increased the profile of not only its women artists, but also the genre itself. Still, women artists remain in the minority. I asked Natalia on a video call about how that sits with her and whether she feels the need to push for a seat at the table.
4: Occasionally I do. Yeah, I feel like, and you know, I'm a fairly confident, outspoken woman. And sometimes I do feel like I have to maybe push a little harder for my opinion to be heard. But, you know, the people in my band are really respectful about that. And I feel like that is a place where I'm encouraged to be a leader. Um, you know, in the studio, I actually recently just asked for a co-producer credit on our new album that's coming out in May because I feel like I've put the songs of our grandfather's album is one that I've really put a ton of time and energy into and, and passion and, um, had done a lot of work kind of setting up logistical things. And so I asked John Weisberg. I was like, would you mind sharing producer credit with me? And he said, no, that's great. So I did, um, assert myself and kind of ask for that, but, um, yeah, I do feel like I have to kind of, maybe it's just, I'm not as comfortable with that. I feel like women, you know, we are sort of taught to be nurturers and supporter supportive people. And so we're not as comfortable or confident to put ourselves out there as like, you know, a front person or a producer or, you know, really putting your name on the front of the project. Um, That's been something that's been a little challenging for me to overcome, yeah. One of the biggest challenges is juggling motherhood and um, performing and creating and teaching and, you know, trying to make a living as well. Um, I think that that, for women, when once we become mothers or parents, I, that becomes the top priority in your life. There's, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know if that mentality is the same for men. Like even if they have kids and they're musicians, um, I'm sure that that is important for them. But I don't necessarily know if that becomes the absolute number one priority. And so I think that's something that we are also really. I struggle a lot with balancing that. Like I always want to be there for my daughter. She was sick for five days last week, so I was. You know, doing the absolute bare minimum work to get, you know, to get what I needed to get done. But it's so it's so challenging to have that hat and to like be switching switching um, roles so frequently like that. Okay, you're mom. You're a you're a creator. You're a songwriter. You're a musician. You're a business person. You're um you know I also teach at Warren Wilson, so I'm also a teacher. Like, and I'm also trying to be a partner and a husband. You know, as or a, a partner and a wife to my husband as well. So it's just. Um, I think that that to me is one of the biggest challenges about being a woman, especially, you know, in this society, we are encouraged to do all those things. Right. And this, you know, in this day and age, we're in, in, encouraged to be uh, working moms we're encouraged to be, um, you know, to do it all. So it's uh, that to me is is probably the biggest challenge to, that I face.
0: Natalia Weinstein's husband, John Cloyd Miller, is also her bandmate in Zoe and Cloyd. And as a husband and wife team, they're part of a long tradition of family bands and roots music. Artistically, Zoe and Cloyd are firmly planted in the old-time and bluegrass traditions, but by incorporating other traditions, they're pushing forward with their music at the same time. For example, here's a bit of Bulgar Sigansky, the Klezmer-inspired instrumental from their 2023 album, Songs of Our Grandfathers.
3: (laughs) ¶¶ (音楽) ¶¶¶¶
0: Songs themselves are another barometer of how women are viewed in the roots music world. Bluegrass, old time, and folk music is full of songs going back hundreds of years when women had far fewer rights and far less social standing than they do now. Renowned songwriter and band leader Becky Buller talked about this when I asked her about whether she has ever had to play songs like Knoxville Girl or Pretty Polly somewhere along the way.
3: You know, I haven't had to sing that. I mean, I might have been backing up a guy singing it on the fiddle. Now, I I, I have made my contribution as a songwriter to that long and glorious tradition of murder ballads in um, bluegrass music, and I I did consciously write a few where the guy or the gal kills the guy. <laughs> I have one I recorded with Valerie Smith on a duo record with her. Um, let's see when was I want to say 2007? I might have that date wrong. It's called "Here's a Little Song." the The song itself is called "The River," and I need to get that cycled back in. Um, I I love that song, and it, and I just you know I was just really aiming for that traditional sounding. Um, ballad that's just you know that one verse melody that goes through the whole story and um, and there's a moral at the end of it and then I've got another one uh, that became the title cut of my uh, first release on Dark Shadow Recording in 2014 um, called didn't die where oh it's it's awful that the guy kills the gal because she won't marry him and then she comes back, or she haunts him, and and then ends up possessing his wife <laughs> and killing killing her. And then he goes insane. And uh, anyway, it's yeah, it's it's pretty awful. And my uh, my producer Stephen Mojan from the Sam Bush Band, he when we were collecting songs for that record, he said, "Are you sure you want to do this? Are what's your dad gonna say? Because my dad is very." Um, very religious and um, and I said, I don't care, I love this song, I just love the story of it and I want to do it anyway. <laughs> In my, it's not my dad's favorite song on the album, but, but my brother, the Lutheran minister, likes it a lot, <laughs> which I find hilarious. Uh, 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 uh.
5: When well, Carson came around, said he gonna put me in a wedding gown,
3: but I refused. Told me I was the girl he loved the best. Then he drew a dagger through my lily white Cause I refused. Walk between earth and sky, I will not live
2: up. but I didn't die.
0: Claire Lynch helped set the stage for women artists who followed her, going back to her days in the Front Porch String Band where she was joined by her husband at the time, Larry Lynch. As Claire pointed out in our interview, when she was a teenager entering the scene, women were almost never in any other context on stage. They simply were not band leaders then, nor were they virtuoso instrumentalists. They could sing and play rhythm, but women would not crash the ceiling of being the boss, playing lead on banjo, mandolin, fiddle, or guitar, and leading a group of men until later when she and contemporaries like Alison Krauss and Rhonda Vincent did so. I asked Claire about her take on how this came about.
5: I think a lot of it is songwriting. Honestly, you look at Lori Lewis and what a, she's such a brilliant songwriter. And, um, you know, she brought respectability that way too. You know, she was a great, uh, she's a really great musician as well, you know, instrumentally. Um, I think that, uh, we've just, uh, well, everybody has brought raised the bar by good material, you know, new and fresh material. Uh, you talked about Becky Bowler. Well, she's a songwriting machine, you know, she, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you said, she's even like twisted the old murder ballad for, where the, the, uh, the murder, the murdered woman comes back and haunts her murderer. You know, so that's pretty cool. I'm sure there's other stories in the world like that, but um, I just think creativity is really flowing. It and it. And I think women had uh, they got out of the laziness of the tradition a little bit since they weren't part of the tradition much anyway. You know, and um, they ch- they had some sort of initiative to create something that was fresh since they were kind of fresh on the scene anyway.
0: I like that. So women had to shake things up. You say,
5: I think we just needed. Yeah. We, I don't know if outside forces were making us do it, but I just felt, I feel like it came from within. It's like, wow, I have an opportunity to create as an artist. Um, what do I want to say? <laughs> you know, And so they did either on their instruments or, you know, vocally with with uh, fresh songwriting. Well, I remember oh so clearly in that southern college town Knoxville grass was playing I was sitting in the crowd We were second generation And it really made me proud Bluegrass was changing A shoulder and a whisper in my ear Brought me the news of his passing The day that Lester died I hung my head Tears for the man And a
0: sound from days gone A later recording of an early song that Claire Lynch has added to her extensive catalog The Day That Lester Died with Claire joined in studio by Missy Raines on bass Jim Hurst on guitar and banjo, and Jason Thomas on mandolin and fiddle. Della May is an all-woman string band founded by lead vocalist and guitarist Celia Woodsmith and two-time Grand National Champion fiddle player Kimber Ludiker, who spoke with me in the exhibition hall at IBMA in fall of 2022. And we're joined by their guitarist Avril Smith here, when in the course of our conversation, Kimber Ludiker picks up on the theme of how women are portrayed in so many traditional songs.
6: Yeah, I think the, the appealing thing about this band and I think the, the you know, the, pa- the place we see ourselves within Bluegrass is um, bringing people into it. You know, it's, uh, we're, we're not really um, booked at many like super traditional Bluegrass festivals because our music isn't super traditional, although all of us are steeped in it and we know it and we can play it. Um, But we do a lot of our, um, you know, our own songwriting and we'll throw in, you know, some traditional songs here or there, um, but we have a lot more modern take on, you know, the stories uh, that we tell about in our music. So, you know, you won't hear us singing Little Maggie or, um, you know, some of these other uh, songs that we feel like the lyrics are problematic um, and a lot of times like really degrading towards women. Um, So, you know, we're trying to pull the best of of bluegrass and present that to our, you know, to our fans. And, you know, there's there's a lot of the tradition that, you know, is um, met with a skeptical eye of, of Della May just because people don't realize that, you know, there's a lot of violence uh, towards women in in these traditional songs. And we kind of just play them smiling and don't really think about it. So I think that's, you know, something that we've done a really good job of is is kind of just uh, I don't know. Being conscious of that and being, you know, I feel like these women are leaders in the industry and just, you know, taking it to the next level of changing the conversation and really like thinking and uh, thinking about what we're what we're saying and uh, what we're presenting to people. And we always get a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of fans that are like. I really hate bluegrass but like I got into it because of you and and now I'm like a fan you know like uh so that's really cool for us um is that we feel like we're kind of a gateway into into bluegrass um and so we're really proud of that
2: like you say those old murder ballads you know they go back to European culture Mm -hmm. you know hundreds of years and they you know people are still singing pretty poly I like the dirt powell song i'm not singing pretty polly anymore Mm -hmm. um but i i I, it's you know try to wrap my head around that whole phenomenon and i I sometimes wonder if it's it was somewhat of a cautionary tale as Mm -hmm. much as it was entertainment because there was just you know just women were just they were just you know it was a violent society in so many ways for women When those songs were written, it still
3: is a violent society towards women, 100%. You know, and I can agree with you, there's a lot of tradition certainly in that. And, you know, I love tradition. Like, I love the tradition in bluegrass, but I think there, you know, I know a lot of people who aren't willing to let go of those songs. Um, But I think we can. There are thousands of good songs, there are thousands of other tales that we can tell, um, not at the expense of of these women who you know perpetually get murdered in these in these songs again and again you know like um. one of the most powerful
4: uh, sort of sort of retelling of those stories is that Gillian Welsh song Caleb Meyer where she tells the story from the perspective of a woman who's experiencing violence and trying to save her own life but it's not just about like her triumph it's about the that you live with you live with that pain yeah. forever it's like and you're not like in jail feeling sorry for yourself like in every bluegrass song but like you live with this pain of the, um, the trauma you've endured. <laughs>
0: From their 2020 album Headlight, this is the Delamay song Peg Monster, rounding out this episode of Southern Songs and Stories. We only scratched the surface of the artistry and experiences of our guests today, and when searching for other podcasts covering women in the old time and bluegrass tradition, the whole topic seems to have barely been explored, or at least not yet. One episode of the series American Songcatcher from Nicholas Edward Williams jumps out, though the episode pioneering women in bluegrass and old time, focusing on Gene Ritchie, Olabelle Reed, Hazel Dickens and Alice Gerard, and Allison Krauss. We're glad you're listening to this episode and are even more grateful whenever you share this with someone. It is super easy to follow us on your podcast platform of choice, and then it'll only take a minute to give it a good rating and where it's an option, a review. Great ratings and reviews especially will make Southern songs and stories and the artist profiles more likely to be found by more people, just like you. This series is a part of the lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it.